Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Pray with me. Father, as we reflect on these words from Psalm 2, we step into your presence in a season in which we see the nation's rage. We see turmoil not just in our nation, but all over the world. And yet the scripture says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore... O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Father, we enter into your presence um, in this service through song, through proclaiming your beauty, the beauty of your worth as the only one worthy, the only one worthy to be the perfect sacrifice and the conquering king. We proclaim the beauty of your love that, that goes beyond the definitions that we have. We come to proclaim that you make a way even when we don't see what you're doing you're working. And we come and we, see, we enter into your presence and we sing this truth in the midst of days in which we see the nations raging and we see great turmoil. And Father, so many times we have, paid, we have prayed uh, for peace in our nation, particularly over the last year. We've prayed for peace in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've prayed for peace in the midst of uh, societal unrest. We've prayed for peace in the midst of political divisions. And Father, we continue that prayer today. But God, we look beyond the scope of our nation and we see that you have given us a unique opportunity to be a part of bringing food to the hungry in another region of the world. And so Father, we pray for the nations raging in West Africa today. As multiple nations are in turmoil, Burkina Faso, Mali, and now Chad. Father, we pray against the terrorism, we pray against the, the societal unrest. And Father, we pray for those living in famine, the two million or more at this point displaced by all these crises. Father, as we send money to them, to gospel workers, to disciple makers, to, to sons and daughters of you to go and take grain and the gospel. Father, bless that ministry. Bring many sons to glory through the beauty of a bag of grain and the message of, of salvation. Father, we've been notified by two friends of the church, one a, 
a um, missionary to refugee to Indian refugees in our state, and one a former missionary in in Delhi. Both of these friends have informed us and reminded us of the great trauma happening in India right now. As, as the pandemic rages out of control and the healthcare system is completely overwhelmed. And we have one missionary saying, I, I personally know 12 people in India who have died. And another missionary saying, I, I know three myself, including those that have a great role of leadership within the school I served. Father, we pray, we pray for healthcare workers, for families, for, for missionaries and pastors, for believers, those that walk according to your name in that region, that they would bring the gospel hope into the suffering. Father, in the midst of the trauma, we know you are the hope bringer. And we see other regions of the world. We see um, Israel and in, in the Middle East raging we, we, we see um, raging throughout other regions of Africa and Asia. We see ragings in South America. We see ragings in our own country. And Father, we know, we, we stand in the knowledge of Psalm 2, that Father, you maintain sovereign control over it all. You are the sovereign judge of all peoples, of all leaders. And so Father, we come first to, to ask you, move in restoration move in peace and healing in these nations that are raging. But Father, we also come in full knowledge of who you are. And as we ask of you, Father, we also come to fulfill Psalm 12 too. Kiss the Son. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Jesus, we come into your presence this morning to kiss you in our love and our dependence upon you. Out of our affection for the love that you have shown, for the grace and provision you have given to us. We take refuge in you this morning. We take refuge in your finished work on the cross. We take refuge in life and life eternal. We take refuge in the truth of your word. We take refuge in the knowledge of you that, that your word gives to us. We take knowledge, or we take refuge in the perfect completed plan from beginning to, the, to end. Father, you have guaranteed for your sons and daughters life and life eternal. So we take refuge in that promise. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for your good grace to us. And God, as we enter into our time in your word this morning, speak. Speak to us through your word for your glory that we may walk out in obedience. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before I dismiss the kids, kids stay put, I'm going to ask the Marchman family to join me up here on stage. Um, and then we will dismiss the kids as we um, dismiss um, them. And uh, yeah, that's you too, Andrew. You're part of the family. Uh, <laughs> so this is uh, Jeremy and Candace Marchman and their children, uh, Jamie Lynn. And yeah, come up here. Jamie Lynn and Andrew and uh, Jordan, and I'm introducing them to you this morning as our newest uh, new members in the new members class a couple weeks ago. We had a couple families join, and um, we actually introduced one in the early service last week, and um, one we'll, we'll introduce to you um, soon also. But this is the Marchman family, and we wanted you to just uh, see them 
um, actually the, the four oldest Marchmans have all shared uh, their testimony of faith uh, with our leadership. And so we're, we're so pleased um, to welcome in with confidence Jeremy Candace, Jamie Lynn, and Andrew, an exceptional family that, that loves the Lord and um, uh, already serving and engaged in our local church here. So we just wanted to put them up here, let you see their faces and, and introduce them. And, and like I said, we'll, we'll do this more in the coming weeks with other families. So thank you, Jeremy and Candace. And now I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids to their time of kids worship upstairs. And uh, that's, that's you too, Jordan. Um, so thank you all for, for coming up here. Uh, welcome to the rest of you, especially to Miss uh, Gloria Childress, because she told me to say that. Um, but uh, in, these, uh, in these weird and exceptional days that we are in, it is always good to see people returning um, to worship with us. So Gloria, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, and Jim and Florence, um, thank you for being here with us this morning as well. Um, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We got a lot going on, a lot to talk about. And so um, first, before we jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'm going to give you kind of a, uh, a, a roadmap for the next couple of months, actually, in our preaching and teaching. So we're now into May, and we'll go through Ecclesiastes uh, up until the end of May. And on May the 30th, we will um, gather on this campus, not in this room, for worship outside one service for our Memorial Day picnic. Not on Memorial Day, on May 30th, uh, the day before Memorial Day. Typically, we do that off-site location, but this year we'll be on our campus. We'll have parking lot worship. We'll have lunch afterwards. We'll have some games and activities afterwards. So we want you all to be here on May the 30th. But we'll go with Ecclesiastes up until that point, both at 9.15 outside, 10.30 inside, unless there's a threat of rain, and we'll do 9.15 in the youth room. Uh, then, starting in June, there will be a change because I won't be here, but only for a few weeks. Um, so uh, the elders um, announced in February of 2020 that uh, after 10 years of service to this church, they um, offered to my family a, a one-month sabbatical, a four-week sabbatical, basically. And uh, we had that planned for summer of 2020, and that did not happen. In the midst of uh, everything that changed in 2020, that was one of those things that changed. And so uh, we have extended that. And so for five Sundays, the four Sundays in June of this year and for the first Sunday in July, I will be uh, on sabbatical with, with my family and we will be um, in uh, Arizona for, for much of the time. If you're curious, don't follow us there. We're on sabbatical. Um, but uh, we'll be praying, studying, uh, reflecting, co connecting as a family. And uh, the elders have been gracious. It's, it's now been 11 years, um, but uh, in honoring uh, the 10 years of, of ministry at this church. So we want you to know that. Um, and we, it was announced in the February congregational meeting each of the last two years. But we wanted to clarify the dates and remind you of that. Um, that uh, beginning in June, we're going to have a series of missions-related speakers for you. And, uh, there, and it's going to be kind of an exciting season of time because there are some missionaries that have longstanding connection to our church. Um, there's at least one brand new missionary um, that is preparing to go to the field that um, we have just added on as one of our sponsored missionaries and you'll be hearing more about him. He'll be speaking with us in June. And, uh, and so we want you to, to be excited about the, uh, 
uh, the, not just missions updates, but, but uh, globally focused sermons and messages um, sending us out as a congregation and reminding us of the needs of the whole world. And so that will be the, uh, what will happen here in June um, as I am gone. Uh, and you'll hear more. We'll get you the schedule on how that's going to play out. Um, but uh, other transitions, I, I've told you this before. I announced last week our new, chil- our new director of children's ministry actually starts June 1st, but she's coming to the picnic on May 30th as way of introduction, and that is Miss Rika Shepherd, and we are excited about that. Next week, I am going to announce to you via video um, with both Rika and our new youth pastor, we're going to introduce both of them via video. And, and, and I'm not intentionally, I am being intentionally careful about what I say about our new youth pastor because he is currently serving in another church. And we want to be respectful about that church's plans to announce it to their youth ministry and congregation. So because we're on live on YouTube right now, we're not saying his name, but we will next week. And so you'll get a video introduction to both our new uh, youth pastor and children's ministry director uh, next Sunday during the service. Some of you uh, know who he is already. And um, so, but we'll, we'll make the official announcement next week. I do want to remind you, um, and that the youth pastor starts July 1st, kids ministry director, June 1st. Huge answer to prayer the way God has provided in that transition. It has been incredible, and you'll hear more about that next week. Um, I want to remind you of two needs that we've brought before you. Number one is this West Africa mission relief. Um, we set out a few weeks ago, we, Tom and I came up here, we announced it to you, we told you this is the need, this is what we want to do. Um, I believe we set the goal in, in, in announcing, I think we told you that our goal was, was $10,000. Uh, what we didn't tell you at the time is we weren't sure if we were going to get $10,000. Um, and also that we felt this was such an uh, urgent need. We went ahead and in faith initiated a transfer of $10,000 um, before the money st- even started coming in. So now at this point, we can look and say, uh, that money is already there in Burkina Faso, the $10,000 ministering to those in need through some of our partners there. Um, and also, we have obliterated the $10,000 goal. And so we are now, as of today, at $15,000, and we're not done yet. Um, so... Uh, like I said, there's $10,000 already on the ground through gospel workers bringing bags of grain and the message of the gospel together to people that are in need and displaced by this great trauma they're experiencing. Um, but uh, I'd be totally fine if we could just go ahead and double that goal um, of 10000 So we're at fifteen right now. We're going to continue to give you opportunities to give either through the boxes in the back or online towards that need. It's exciting to have goals crushed. And so thank you for your generosity as we continue to, to serve those um, on the other side of the world in great despair and uh, to strengthen the gospel ministry uh, happening there. Um, another local need, I told you last week that um, we have a ministry that, that is here in the Doug Gap area that uh, ministers to foster care families, and they're putting together gifts for foster families this month as it's National Foster Care Month. And so we've been collecting gift cards over the last week, and thank you, those of you that have already brought them, um, but Tuesday is the last day to uh, bring those in. You can give them today or you can give them to the church office. The rule is 
restaurant and there's money on it. Literally, that's all they gave me. And so um, whether it's a $5 restaurant card or a $100 restaurant card, anywhere in between, um, we're going to put the cards together and we're going to make sure families get uh, blessings um, through these cards. And whether they get five $10 cards or one $50 card, um, it's going to be a blessing to these families who are serving the least of these in our um, community. So now, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to talk about work and how meaningless work is. And that is just the way Ecclesiastes rolls. Um, There's lots of vanity. There's lots of despair. There's lots of, I hated the work of my hands, like he hated life last week. Um, And yet in this, uh, there is ultimately a message of hope. That's where we're going, and that's what we want you to. Um, to see. Uh, the, the real question for today is, can we find meaning in work? And we're going to answer that question by exploring the attitudes towards the work of our hands that are on display by the author of Ecclesiastes. In this passage, two eighteen through 26, he takes four different attitudes in succession towards the work of his hands, and, and can he find purpose and meaning towards the work in his hands in these multiple different attitudes? But Really, what, what we're driving towards here is always, throughout this whole book, what is the meaning and purpose in the life that we live? Can we find it in the things of this world? Can we find it under the sun, the setting of Ecclesiastes? Or do we need to look beyond the sun? And, and, and I told you a few weeks ago, and I like to review this concept, uh, there's two ways of searching for meaning in this life. Either you're on a search to discover a meaning that is woven into the fabric of creation by the God who created the world. Either your path is one of discovery or your path is one of creating your own meaning out of the opportunities and situations in front of you. And so the author of Ecclesiastes here is taking the path of creation. He's going to find meaning by trying to create meaning within different opportunities in front of him. Uh, pleasure, two weeks ago. Um, wisdom, last week. And work, this week, are all things that he's trying to find meaning and purpose in. He's trying to create his own purpose out of the places that he goes, the things that are right in front of him. But we know that the, the, the Christian approach to purpose and meaning is to derive our meaning not from what is under the sun, but what lies beyond the sun. And so that, that's where we've been ending up every week, and spoiler alert, we'll get there again this week, because the message of the gospel breaks into this existence under the sun and, and brings ultimate purpose and meaning. But this guy is in this journey of despair and purposelessness. I have a uh, strong conviction that in order to find purpose and meaning in the work of our hands, we need to both have a right perspective of the work that we do and a right perspective of the God who is. Because work does bring meaning to this life. We, we were created, God, God created a garden and God created gardeners to, to work the ground, to, to cultivate. We were created with tasks to accomplish and, and things to do. So, so don't don't think that work isn't a part of finding meaning and purpose in life. It's a huge part of it. But it has to be rightly ordered as work for the sake of the king and creator. And so if we're going to find purpose in work, we've got to rightly understand what work's all about. In order to rightly understand, I'm going to give you another, another conviction I have. 
Everybody needs a terrible job at some point in their life. It's just a way to grow. When a youth pastor for five years and, and pastor for, for since then, when I talk to young people and young parents, I'm not afraid of encouraging a young person to take a job that may end up being a terrible job. Everybody's got to do one job that they don't like in order to find out what kind of work they do like. It's good to just work hard and wear yourself out and clock out at the end of the day and be like, man, that was, I do not want to do that for the rest of my life. Good. You need a motivator to go find what you do want to do for the rest of your life. I, when we were with the elders and deacons in our annual retreat yesterday, I put down on a piece of paper when we were playing Two Truths and a Lie, one of the truths is I got fired from my first job and I didn't even mind. I kind of threw a party because I didn't like it at all. And you know, sometimes you have a job you, you don't like that doesn't work out and you just move on and find the next one. My second job, I just had to do, like I was, I recognized I lied to the first service about this. Because I told them my second job, I quit three times, but it's actually way more complicated than that. My second job, I quit, I quit three times and then went to another state and quit in that state and then went to another state and quit in that state. So all told, I worked for three different Chick-fil-A's over the course of eight years. I quit five times, and for, but for eight years, that's just what I did. I quit on one guy three times. Two other guys, I just quit one time. But eight years, you know, they, they tell you, I did the calculations this week. They tell you it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. And I did the calculations of eight years. I worked full-time, a couple of those, part-time, most of those. If I average 25 hours a week, 50 weeks a year for eight years, I am officially a 10,000-hour expert chicken fryer. I did it a lot. And I didn't want to do it more by the time I was done. I quit five times. Clearly, I didn't want to keep doing it. But it was consistent, it was, it was good, it was profitable, so I kept coming back. Because sometimes a, a job is not your ultimate purpose and fulfillment in life. Sometimes your, your job is what you do in order to supplement your ultimate purpose and fulfillment in life. And you know what I recognized is, is even if I was called to ministry while I was preparing for ministry and had class bills and, and, and the like, Chick-fil-A was a great supplement to that because there was all sorts of ministry available for me there. So we cannot assume that work is the ultimate purpose of our life. We cannot assume that our career, our vocation, our job is supposed to be ultimately fulfilling and ever since. That's just not going to work. And for some people, your, your job will be a big part. If, you're, if, you're, if the purpose for which God created you is this, for some people, your career is going to take up a big part of that. And for some people, and it's okay, your career is going to take up a small part of that. And you're going to be fulfilling your purpose for which God created you more outside of your nine-to-five job than inside your nine-to-five job. And this transfers not just to a nine-to-five job, but into whatever the work of your hands is, whether it's working in the home, in parenting, in grandparenting, working in, in your house, in construction, reconstruction, lawn maintenance, whatever. Whatever you put your hands to do, we are to find purpose, but purpose rightly ordered. So, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Again, this is just not a fun guy to hang out with. This is not the kind of guy you want to just sit down and have a meal with, but this is, this is what we got. I hated all my toil in which I toil 
under the sun. Seeing that, I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all of which, for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Don't Google that word yet. I'll tell you what it means in a second. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This I saw also is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So as I said, the the preacher of Ecclesiastes, whether it is Solomon or somebody else, portrays four different attitudes here in succession. First, he sees work as investment, and he tries to find purpose and meaning in who he leaves his work to. And then he despairs. And for him, his attitude towards work is one of complete despair. What's the point? And then he sees the need and the benefit of just finding enjoyment. Eat, drink, and find enjoyment in the toil of your hands. But then in the end, he closes this passage again with, that too was vanity and a striving after the wind. So the impulse he starts with in verse 18 is is good. He wants to leave a legacy in the work of his hand. And this is something that we've talked about multiple times. One of the things that the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes continues to talk about is legacy. What am I going to leave behind? And this distressing fact that he keeps coming back to is I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried in the dirt. And whether I'm wise or I'm foolish, I'm going to be buried in the dirt. Whether I'm rich or poor, buried in the dirt. Whether I'm righteous or sinful, buried in the dirt. Whether I work hard or am lazy, buried in the dirt. And that is just haunting him throughout this whole book and this journey that he's on because he continues to ask the question, if the end is buried in the dirt, no matter what I do between now and then, what's the point of where I am now? What's the purpose of it all? And so his, his quest for finding purpose in work starts with the question of what's going to happen when I die? And, and the answer of what's going to happen when he dies is he's going to leave it behind to somebody. And it's like he's looking and he's saying, I'm going to build this kingdom. I'm going to build these buildings. I'm going to build, build this great movement. I'm going to build this, this great, you know, he talks about gardens and pools and buildings, all of the great work of his hands. And he thinks, I'm going to leave this incredible legacy where people are going to know how wise I was, how hardworking I was, and, uh, and all that. And I'm going to leave it to the next generation. And then it's like he looks and says, you know what? My kids kind of aren't that great. Who am I going to leave this to? He says, what, what's the point of a wise man working so hard and leaving it behind for a bunch of fools to just tear it apart? That's what he's saying in 18 and 19. He says, I, I want to leave this legacy. I want to build this kingdom so that the next generation will enjoy it. And yet I'm going to die and I'm going to trust it into the hands of somebody that I don't know what they're going to do with it. 
And they may just blow the whole thing. And, and, and so what is the point if I'm going to work so hard and just blow it all? Be, and just let my kids or the next generation, whoever comes next, blow it all. Because one of the things that Solomon is seeing, if this is Solomon, is that there is benefit in hard work, there is benefit in the toil. And we, we all know this inherently. You appreciate something more when you're the one that works for it. So actually, what, what he is hitting on here is a very modern, uh, applicable concept. That, that sometimes we, we see great benefit from a generation that works hard to fight for something, to build something, be, be it a business or culture or society or family, whatever. One generation starts with little or nothing and works hard to build something great only for the next generation to have never known a time without that greatness and just take it for granted. To have never known a time in which you, you were working and toiling to build something great and, and in the end the next generation just doesn't have the same level of appreciation for the struggle. This is, this is exactly what Solomon's realizing here. I'm seeing the benefit of hard work. I'm seeing the benefit of leaving a legacy. But my kids, they're just going to see completed buildings. And they're not going to remember what the dirt looked like before that. And they're not going to remember all of the purpose and planning and all of the, the hard work, the days and nights of labor that worked into building this kingdom to where it is today. And that's when he just throws up his hands. This is, that, that's the gesture of the book of Ecclesiastes. Throw up his hands. What's the point? I've done all this. I've done it the right way. I've worked hard. What's the point? My kids aren't going to appreciate it. It's a, it's a struggle that, that, that all of us know and, and, and think through. To what extent do we want our kids to have the better opportunity than we did and we want to give them more things than we did and to what extent do we recognize character is built through, through struggle and through trial and, and therefore our kids need to work for something in order to build that character and that strength. And so this attitude of investment starts in the right place but ends in despair because it ends in the wrong place. And what I mean by that is it starts in the right place by starting with building legacy. But it ends at the grave and therefore it ends in despair. Because as we've said each week, building legacy is a good and beautiful motivation. But if legacy expires on the day of your death, then what's the point? Legacy has to be an eternal legacy, an impact on eternal souls. Because here's the reality of the work of his hands. As he is constructing these buildings, as he's building tools and gardens, as he's gathering grain and all of these works of his hands, what he needs to realize is that at the end of days, all of that will be burned by fire. When the new heavens and the new earth cr come crashing in together in the restoration of all things by Christ's own hand. And yet, what is eternal are the souls of those that are around him. The buildings aren't eternal. The ground isn't eternal. The pool's not eternal. The garden's not eternal. The kingdom in which he, he is investing, that's not eternal. But what is eternal? The souls of the men and women and his children that he is interacting with. And so the work of our hands, whatever business we're building, 
whatever career we're building, whatever legacy we want to lead for ourselves, that's great, good, let's do that, let's work hard to leave a legacy, and let's remember that the business that you own is not going to be an eternal legacy, but the people that worked for you and the customers that you served may actually be. That's the eternal legacy of a, of a business, small or large, whether you own it or you're low man on the totem pole. The, the legacy is the eternal souls that are interacted with and affected by the work of our hands. And so as I said, the, the, the motivation of work as investment is good. But when it's all about ending in the grave, you're going to end in despair. So let's talk about despair. He said, I turned my heart to despair. For all man's days are full of sorrow. Well, that doesn't sound great. And his work is vexation. Vexation means annoyance or frustration. You can substitute that word if you're more familiar with it. Even in the night, the man's heart does not rest. All of this is Ecclesiastes 2.23. This also is vanity. He's, he's painting the picture of this man who is so frustrated by the work of his hands and by the lack of progress in the projects that are right in front of him. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to walk in wisdom. He's trying to walk in righteousness. He's, he's trying to work hard and not be lazy. And in the end, he still can't sleep at night because no matter how hard he tries to do the right thing and remain faithful, it keeps blowing up in his face. And he's like, hey, what's the point? I keep doing the right thing. I keep working hard, and it keeps crumbling right in my eyesight. And so, so the question is, what is the point of keeping going? And this is where the, the, the greener grass conspiracy shows up. And we all know the greener grass co- conspiracy that tells us, well, the problem is not in me. The problem is where I am right now, and so I need to get over there into that section of greener grass. And that's where purpose, pleasure, joy, hope, and meaning, that's where it's going to be found. And so he, the problem is not that sometimes humans come to a place of despair in their work. The, the problem and the challenge rests in how we respond to despair in the work of our hands. Because I'm just going to make a bet here that every one of us, regardless of the work of our hands, regardless of your career, regardless of your family, regardless of whether you're, you're building a home and, and you're building your family or you're working your, your own lawn or you're working in a career, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say every single one of us at some point in our work lives has, has reached the point of despair, frustration, vexation, annoyance. What's the point? It's human to experience that. It's human to get to that point where you just don't know why the, the work of your hands is crumbling in front of you and no matter how hard you work, it's just, you're just not getting through. So the problem is not that you occasionally experience some despair. The, the question is, how do you respond? And the greener grass conspiracy says, and when you get to the point of despair in your work, just go over there. There's a new job over there. There's a new company over there. And it's not, it's not just the work of our hands. So much of Ecclesiastes shows us within pleasure, within family, within wisdom, whatever, that this greener grass conspiracy comes in and decays us. And so it's not just that I'm frustrated with my job, therefore I'm going to go look for another job. It's that I may be frustrated with my marriage and therefore the marriage is the problem. 
I'm frustrated with my kids and maybe I just need to start over in family. I'm, I'm frustrated with my, my church and therefore I need a new church setting. I need new relationships through which to gather there. I'm frustrated with my neighborhood. I'm frustrated with my house. And so then a move is what? I'm frustrated with the culture of my city, of my area. So therefore, if I just move to another area, that will be better. And here's, here's the kicker for us. It's never been easier for any of those things. It's never been easier to find a new job, to find a new, cha- to find a new house, to find a new hometown, to find a new church, to find, find new, a new school, to find a new social group, to find a new relationship. All of that stuff is right there at our fingertips. And we can find it if we want it. And so then, then the challenge that we're facing is what do we do at that point of despair? Do we jettison what, where we're experiencing despair and just move on to something new? Or do we fight for enjoyment, is where he's about to get, fight for contentment with where we are right now? There's lots of ways that this attitude of despair can cause spiraling out of control by continuing to see the problem as just you're setting where you are right now. Now, don't get me wrong. There are situations in which the problem is the setting you're in right now. But, but, but that's where, where wisdom and grace and, and the attitude of Christ's servanthood it, it needs to, to show up and needs to speak in loud volumes to you. To say, God, I don't know if the problem is, is these people around me or if the problem is just my response to the situation I am. God, have you left me here for a reason? Have you left me in this dead-end job for a reason? Because maybe he has. Have you left me in, in this toxic family situation for a reason because maybe you're on the brink of doing something? Have you left me in this situation for a reason? No, 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 let me be clear. There are some times when you step out, when it's not just relational difficulty, but, but when it becomes uh, physical abuse, things like that, that, that's when you step out, okay? You gotta be clear about that. And yet, the commitment of Christ says that there are times when we, we stand and, and we fight for the relationships that we already have. Uh, within a covenant marriage, we, we fight for the covenant that God has, has brought us into, Within a, uh, within a church family, we fight for fellowship and for community within the church even when things get messy, and boy, do they ever. We all know that. Within a family, we fight for those extended family relationships even when it gets kind of easy. The older you grow, the, the more easy it is to sort of cut ties with adult siblings and cousins and all of that sort of thing. Yet we still have an opportunity to fight for relationships for the sake of God's glory. I'm not proposing any solutions to any particular problems today. I'm simply saying we must be careful and cautious of this green grass conspiracy, of saying the right answer is to just quit where I'm at right now, start over something new. Because let me tell you a secret. Whoever's over there, they're messed up too. You think the people you're around right now messed up? You think your workplace right now is messed up? That workplace is messed up in ways that you don't know. At least you know what's messed up over here. Those, their mess ups are all surprise to you right now. We got to keep that in mind of recognizing that, that God's calling is uniquely specific to, to each of us. And yet we have to be carefully cautious of not just jettisoning the old frustrations for the sake of something new. Rather, 224, we fight for joy. We fight for joy in fighting for contentment.
He says there's nothing better for a person in verse 24 than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of the Lord. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? There is no joy apart from Christ. Pretty simple. Even the world that does not know Christ, that thinks they are living and experiencing joy, the word of God is challenging us to say, is that joy real, deep, and abiding? No, because it's not an eternal joy. It's not a joy that rests in all eternity, a hope that anchors in the midst of any and every despair and challenge of this life. That's what joy is. And so when he's saying, fight for enjoyment in, his to- in your toil, he's saying to you, whatever your job is, whatever the work of your hand is, whatever, whatever it is you spend the majority of your time in, there is a, a segment of joy there if you fight for it and if you look for it. Even if your job is so dead in and so despairing that the only joy you can find is that at the end of the day, you have food on the table because of that dead end job. That's still joy. That's still a blessing that comes from God even though you don't like the way he brought it. That's still provision for your daily needs. And and it's a picture of, of ultimate provision that he gives to all of us. And so even when we're despairing in the work of our hands, when there's food on our table, when there's a roof of our heads, because of the despairing dead-end job that we work, we have to stop and say thank you. We have to stop and, and, and in some level of gratitude say, this is from the hand of God. So he's saying to you, do what you can, as much as depends on you. Enjoy the work of your hands. Enjoy your coworkers. Maybe the, the opportunity that you have is to change your response to your coworkers, and then maybe they'll change their response to you, even the crummy ones. Maybe there's an opportunity for you within even your, your family to change your attitude and your response, and, and maybe, just maybe, fighting for contentment in where the Lord has placed you will result in different relationships in lots of different categories. So here's my question. Instead of emphasizing, these are all the bad things that are resulting from my job, what are the good things resulting from my job? What are the good things resulting from this season of life that we're in? As hard as it is, as stressful as it is, as busy as it is, what are the little blessings that God's bringing to me and my family through where he has placed us? Because we're all humans and we're all so much better at emphasizing the negative. We're all really good at saying, my job's terrible because this, and not my job is a blessing from God because this. And guys, I, I'm even recognizing the fact that in a fallen world in, in which, you know, the, the perfect garden that Adam was sent to garden suddenly became filled with, with thorns and the, and the ground started working against him, in a fallen world, I know that the crummy parts of your job will often outweigh the good parts of your job. And I'm not telling you that secretly you're just seeing it wrong. I'm telling you that in the end of time, you will be welcomed into the presence of Christ And he will receive his sons and daughters to himself. And you will recognize that the eternal weight of the glory you received then was worth it all. Was worth it all back then. Even the crummy parts of your job. Even the incredible challenges that each job does have. And so I'm not saying 
fight for enjoyment by just ignoring the bad. I'm saying fight for enjoyment by focusing on eternity and recognizing that there are certain things you can do to make a toxic environment better. There are certain things you can do to make a workplace more faithful, more beneficial. What can you do as an ambassador of Christ, as a carrier of the light of Christ into that place? He ends in verse 26, back in the place of vanity. So predictable. He always gets there. He says in verse 26, the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. What he's basically saying there is that God does in this life sometimes reward the righteous. As we've talked in in previous weeks, it's not a simple guarantee that we must bank on. That that the reward that that the righteous receive is first and foremost an an eternal inheritance and and not a temporal uh, physical blessing. And so we work and we toil recognizing we're waiting for eternity in some of the fulfillment of God's promises. And, And that the wicked will have their due. The wicked that are prospering all around us in the work of their hands, they'll have their due. And the righteous will have their reward. But he says there, there is a time in which those that please God will be given wisdom and knowledge and joy in the work of their hands. But then he says what's odd is that sometimes you have the righteous man and the sinner working together and the work of each hand is dependent upon each other. The illustration in verse 26 is the righteous guy that is blessed because of his work, but who is also ultimately benefiting from the work of a sinner who's gathering the grain to go to his table. And we recognize there as it, as it relates to the work of our hands, we can't only depend on righteous people all the time. Sometimes in every career, we have to de- depend upon the, the work of not righteous people as contributing to the goal of the company. We, we can't just separate ourselves and silo ourselves and say, I don't want to be involved with any foolish people or any sinners because at the end of the day, society is about coming Together, the righteous and the sinner sometimes depend on each other for the food that ends up on the table. And you know what? That's opportunity. That's opportunity when, when the food on our table results from the work of a, of a sinful fool. That's opportunity because that's a relationship that we have that we can cultivate for the sake of God's glory. Let, let's skip to the end, Colossians 3, the end of the story of work in Scripture. Colossians 3, new covenant work. We're, we're talking about uh, a life under the sun in Ecclesiastes 2. We're talking about, as I told you, the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to pursue life. Knowing that God does exist, he is pursuing life out of creating his own meaning. At the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, he circles back around. Fear God, keep his commandments. Don't think that the author of Ecclesiastes forgets God exists. He's just in a place of struggle of trying to find out how intimately involved God is in his life. Does God actually care about the day-to-day? That's the search. Now, Colossians 3, uh, I'll read three verses, verse 17 first and then down to 23 and 24. Uh, Colossians 3 gives us a, 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 a picture of how Christ breaks through. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do 
everything, not most things, not some things, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then down to verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, and inheritance is eternal. From the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality. So what Paul is telling us as New Covenant believers in Christ is that, that what the author of Ecclesiastes didn't fully realize and was only picturing and pointing towards in part is that Christ has officially and fully broken into this situation. So many times the author of Ecclesiastes is, is screaming out and saying there, there's, no, there, there's, there's no lasting purpose under the sun. It's just striving after the wind. It's all fleeting. It's all vapor. And he continually says, there's nothing new under the sun. And here comes Christ breaking in and saying, no, no, no. I can give you a new and eternal perspective because you want to know what's new under the sun? Christ is new under the sun. And when Christ comes to the cross in fulfillment of all of the old covenant promises, Christ comes to the cross to establish uh, life for his children, to establish a, a, new, a new hope for his children because sin has been paid for at the cross. Salvation has been won at the cross. The enemy has been defeated. Death, that grave that the author of Ecclesiastes is so obsessed with throughout the whole book, that grave has been defeated at the cross. And we have now received an eternal inheritance. And whether we realize it or not, those of us that have bent the knee before Jesus and said, not my will, but yours. I can't make it to the point of righteousness on my own. I need Christ's righteousness. I need Christ to pay for my sin. I need the resurrection to give me life. Those of us that have come to that point are promised an eternal inheritance. And everybody else, it's right there too. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. But the, the gospel of work is the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the cross. That you will be rewarded for the work you've done in the name of the Lord at the end of days. And at the end of days, the evil that we, the evil men and women that we see prospering in the unrighteous work of their hands, they're going to be rewarded too. And their reward is punishment. And so what purpose does this bring to us? It tells us that, again, the book of Ecclesiastes is all about changing perspective. And if all you're focusing on is what you can see with your eyes right in front of you, then you're missing something. Because you can't see eternity right in front of you with your physical eyes. But the work of your hands has to be influenced by an eternal perspective. You have to see from the perspective of all eternity into the mundane of this life to be able to say with Paul that this light and momentary affliction is being overwhelmed by the eternal weight of glory that is promised to us. And so yeah, your job, no promises today, your job is probably still going to be hard tomorrow. There's still going to be some despair in the work of your hands this week. But in the midst of all of it, if, you're, if your focus is all on your job as your, your purpose, 
I want to find purpose and meaning in my job. You ain't going to find it there. But if your job is simply a piece of the purpose and meaning that is given to you by God that you are searching for and discovering. How do my gifts, how do my talents, my background, my training, my insights, how does all of that serve to further God's glory in this earth? There is a way. And I don't know what it is for each and every one of you. That is for the, God, the Spirit of God to lead you into. I don't know how your, how your career and vocation fits into the purpose and calling that God has for you, but I know he has it. I know he has the plan. And I know that an eternal perspective is way better than an earthly perspective in finding that. Where are the eternal souls that you can invest in in the work of your hands? Where is the eternal legacy that you can leave? Because one day you and the fool are going to be right there buried in the dirt together. And you don't want to have the same legacy and the same end as the fool. You want your legacy to extend into eternity because of the eternal souls that you have served, that you have loved, that you have encouraged, that you have pointed towards the truth of the gospel. And so let our legacy not be limited to the work we do this week. Let our legacy expand into all of eternity in the influence that we have. Whether we work that nine to five job whether we, we work uh, the ground of relationships around us, whether we work in the church or we work in society, may our legacy be the internal souls that we can invest in for the sake of God's glory in all eternity. So I'm going to ask you to um, sing with us. The band's going to come up. And I'm going to ask you to reflect for a minute. Um, I do want you to stand and sing with the team, but before that, I want you to, to take a moment and just reflect. What is the eternal legacy of the work of your hands? What is the eternal legacy of the work of your hands? As a parent, it's the souls of your children. As a business owner, it might be the souls of your employees. It might be the souls of your clients. But who, not just what is the eternal legacy, who is the eternal legacy of that nine to five vocation that you put so much time and effort into. Because without seeing through the eyes of eternity into legacy, the end will be despair. But if we see through the eyes of eternity, the end can be joy and contentment in the work of our hands. Stand and sing with us. Sin runs 
Those words seem so true for each one of us. We do need you in our families, in the work of our own hands, in the lives that we live, as we fight for purpose, as we fight for joy. We need you. We need you as our one defense when the enemy accuses. We need you as our one righteousness when we fall short. We need you every hour. And so, Father, would you go out with us by your presence and your spirit, empowering us, empowering us for the challenges in front of us, 
as your ambassadors, as your lights. For when the author of Ecclesiastes challenges, is there anything new under the sun? Paul answers, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old has gone. Behold, the new has come. So Father, may we be the new under the sun, bringing purpose and meaning to those in despair. Send us out in your grace. Amen. Remain standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.